You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are starting a new sermon series today. You, if you're new here with us today, you came on a great day. Uh, seven weeks leading up till Easter. I hope you would decide to stick it out with us as we go through this Gospel of John together because it's a good starting day. Because I just love worship. I thought, I need like a 15-minute break. Can we, can I get a tight 15 out there? No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're starting a new servant series, Gospel of John. Here's what I want you to know as an intro to this, brand new today. Um, is that John's gospel is brilliantly organized around the number seven. Lots of sevens. First chapter, chapter one, Jesus has seven titles about who he is. Seven is, if you don't know, the biblical number for completion or perfection or wholeness. And so John is making a statement about these sevens. Jesus has seven I am statements in the gospel of John. I am, if you don't know, this is the divine name that God reveals to Moses in the burning bush. If you've seen that Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Moses says, what's your name? And he says, I am who I am. And so Jesus takes that name and he applies it to himself seven times in the Gospel of John. And then for our sermon series, um, there's seven miracles that John organizes the first half of his book around. But he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. Thamios is the Greek word, and it means the same thing our signs mean. A sign isn't an end in itself. A sign points to something else. Like you see a sign that says exit ahead, it's talking about the thing that's ahead, not itself. It's not there just to be its own thing. These signs that John is bringing up point to a greater reality. So it's not just about miracles. Um, It has some purpose. Just to let you know, um, if you don't know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means see together. Optic, you know the word optic. Sign, sin means together. And so these ones see together, and they have a lot of miracles in them, but they call them dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. It means power. And those miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are there to prove to you that the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom is finally here. John's miracles, his signs, are to prove that the king has come. They're not about the kingdom per se as much as who Jesus is and what he means to our world and to us personally. And they primarily try to do three things. We're already getting into it. I don't even have a funny story for you yet. I'm just lecturing you about the gospel of John. I hope you're okay with this. We are learning. These signs, do, they're not proven that the kingdom has come. They prove that the king has come. And so they want to prove his power. They want to reveal his identity and mission. And they want to encourage you to have faith in him, to put your faith in him. And so some of these we're going to see today in our points uh, because we're going to talk about the first sign of the gospel of John. If you have any questions, we try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible instead of me talking at you for. 30, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, depends on how the spirit catches me. No, we'll try to rein it in about 40 minutes. 
But if you have questions, send them. Especially the first point is a little bit tricky, and there's a lot of questions about it. But if you have them, send them. I'd love and No question off limits. Uh, we want to be a place where questions are safe, uh, doubts are safe. Uh, this is a place to figure stuff out, even the hard stuff. And if I don't know, I'll tell you. That's okay. Hopefully you accept that. Today we're doing the first sign in John is the water into wine. We know this culturally, this comes up all the time. Water and wine at the wedding at Cana. I preached on this about three years ago. Uh, that was primarily in the context of prayer. I want to talk about it today. What does the story mean in and of itself? What is it trying to do? I've been chewing on this bad news. If you don't know here at the table, we start with the bad news because I think it better helps us understand the good news of the gospel if we feel the need of the bad news. But I hope you can go on this journey with me because I'm not sure it makes a total amount of sense. Here's the first couple verses from that story. It says, on the third day, third day is very meaningful. Jesus raises on the third day. John wastes no words. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. By the way, his mother is never named in this gospel, which is very interesting. I hope you have questions about that someday. His mother was there, and Jesus' disciples were also invited. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration when the wine ran out, probably because Jesus and his disciples were there, and the people weren't planning on an extra five, seven, twelve dudes showing up, hanging out, drinking wine. Uh, the wine ran out. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, They don't have any wine. No question, no request. Jesus has got family problems too, right? And Jesus says, woman. Now listen, in our culture, that doesn't sound very kind. In this culture, it was very appropriate to call a woman, woman. It was not super appropriate to call your mom, woman, but he does. And there's meaning in that too. We don't have time to get into it today. Woman. What does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come Time shows up, or the word hour shows up 26 times in the Gospel of John. Jesus' time is his death. His hour is the hour of the cross. I got a small verse that's impossible to read. Later on in the Gospel, Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and he means killed. My time hasn't come. Here's what I'm chewing on with this bad news. I hope it makes sense. Or at least, here's the paraphrase I think Jesus did. Mother, this thing that you ask begins my journey to the cross. I haven't revealed myself. I haven't shown anybody any powers. This is the first sign. This is the first miracle ever done. The thing you're asking me starts the road to the cross. And I think the bad news that I'm chewing on is that sometimes the blessing begins the journey down a rough road. Sometimes we think we get something good and we're like, things are looking up. Things are heading in the right direction. I got somebody who laughed back there because she knows what this means. Me too. You get blessing, you get a new job, you get a little bit of money, things start smoothing out in your relationships with your kids or your spouses or your coworkers. You get a little bit of blessing and you're like, finally, things are looking up. But sometimes the blessing is the beginning of a rough road, a preparation for hard times. Sometimes blessings are meant to prepare us 
for difficulties. We know this all the time in what we call the hero's journey. Anytime you watch a movie or a show, anytime the hero sets off, some people usually show up and they say, here, take this thing. And usually the thing doesn't look very helpful and then it ends up saving the whole day. We know that this is a part of the journey. And the one I was thinking about was uh, Lord of the Rings, but I showed you a Lord of the Rings clip last week, so I guess I can't do that this week. But Galadriel hands out gifts to all these people and they get like rope and like a little dagger and they don't seem all that helpful. But I was thinking of Harry Potter too in the Deathly Hollows where their, their like head teacher dies and he gives them these gifts and it's like a book of fairy tales and like a light putter outers, <laughs> I think is what it's literally called. The names in these books are terrible, by the way. A putter outer? It, they changed it to the illuminator in the movies. Anyways, I think it's a putter outer in the book. Thanks, Micah. Micah's got my back. Yeah! Yeah! The movie guys were like, that's too dumb of a name. we got to change it. And then Harry gets the snitch, just like a souvenir item that he had caught, something that he got earlier in the movies. But it turns out that all of those things were exactly what they needed to save the day. It, these, these gifts kind of began the road down a journey where Harry ultimately dies, but the things they had brought them to that place and sustained them through. And I just, I kind of see that happening here in the beginning of John with this thing. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm, I'll give you this blessing. I'll give you the thing, the wine. He's going to give them the wine if you don't know the rest of the story. But it begins his time towards a really difficult end that he doesn't want to do. The cross, the death, uh, the dying on behalf of the whole world. Sometimes the blessing begins the journey on the rough road. I think that, I don't know, it feels like bad news. Maybe it's good news, but it feels hard. Uh, It feels hard to me. But let's read some gospel. I have the wrong page number here. This is an old page number, but we're going to turn to John chapter 2. If you have some scripture in front of you and you want to bust it out with me, um, we can read together, or it'll be on the screen. No pressure. It is not 794. It is 809 if you have one of these Bibles with me. We're going to John 2, the wedding at Cana, 809. We've already read the first four verses, so I'm starting at verse 5. Bottom right-hand corner, right? Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Starting in verse 5, his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then she just walks away, apparently, totally trusting that he's going to figure it out. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the groom of the wedding and said, everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are, you know, been drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. This is a sign of his generosity, right? This is a sign, apparently, of the groom's uh, wealth. This was the first, John tells us, miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
the word of the Lord for the people of God. If you know us, this is how we digest passages together. What does God want us to know with our head, feel with our heart, do with our hands, so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and then back out into the world so we don't get stuck in just our head knowledge or just our heart experience or just our hands. So we want a whole faith. So I ask those questions. I ask these questions of every passage. What, what does God want us to know, feel, and do? And this is what I think this passage is about. Based on the 10 scholars that I read on it, I'm helping try to digest this for us. What God wants you to know is that the old rules have been fulfilled. The old rules are fulfilled. That's what God wants you to know. That's the meaning of the symbols in this passage. Everything in this passage revolves around the six stone water jars. That's it. The six stone water jars. They were used for the old way of you had to ritually wash your hands before you could eat. And Jesus takes those and he has them fill them up to the brim and he turns them to wine. I went to seminary. I spent a lot of money at seminary. I think I'm going to talk about this twice today, seminary. And one of the reasons I went is because what do we do with the first two-thirds of our Bible? Two-thirds of the Bible is called the Old Testament. It's before Jesus shows up. It has characters that you know, like Moses and David and Abraham. But the first two-thirds of this Bible is what is called the Old Testament. I mean, this is it, right? What do we do with this part of the Bible? It's got a lot of rules in it. They call it the law which is bigger than rules, but I don't want to say law to you because that's kind of scary. It might be more than two-thirds. It's a lot. What do we do with it? It has a lot of rules. Like, you can't eat pigs, and you can't eat shrimp, and you definitely can't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. That is against, that's a double no-no. There's also some rules that I'm happy to follow, like you're not allowed to eat camels, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll keep that one. Not allowed to eat ravens. You're like, you got it. I won't do that. But there's a lot of rules about food in there. There's a lot of rules about circumcision in there. A lot of rules about circumcision in there. This is an inside joke. My people need me to do it. There's a lot of rules about circumcision in there as a, as a sign of that you belong to God. We don't do that anymore. That's not the sign. The sign is baptism. It's putting on water. There's other stuff. Why not animal sacrifices? Why don't you come here and you all bring sheeps and doves and pigeons and I take turns just killing them and saying you're right with the Lord now. Boom, I'm just going to kill goats all day. I couldn't do it. Somebody else would have to do this job. My hands are too soft to be doing stuff like that. Like, Why don't we do that anymore? That's two-thirds of this. Is What kinds of animals you should bring for what types of sins? We don't do that anymore. Why don't we worship on Saturdays? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Worship the Lord on Saturdays and rest. We don't do it anymore. Why? 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 Jesus is here. You are not bound to any of those rules at all anymore. Jesus, Jesus is here. Hear me out. He, he didn't come and say, those are dumb. Let's throw that in the trash can. It's still the word of God for us. He fulfills it. And fulfilling it is important. And we have to think about that word. But I want to show you, show you what's going on in that passage before we get to what fulfillment means. 
How many stone jars were there? What's the number of perfection and wholeness? How many? Is this the same as seven? It's one less. This is important to John. It is not quite perfection and wholeness and completion. It's six stone jars. It's not seven. By the way, you know the mark of the beast in Revelation, and you have a whole bunch of weird theology about it, and our culture is mostly wrong about it, but 666 is less than 777, which is Jesus in Revelation. It's just not whole, complete. And so Jesus takes this old rule about having to wash up all the time, which doesn't seem like a bad rule, but they made it very religious. They made it like, if you don't do this, you don't love God and you can't be a part of God's people. And Jesus says, it's not there. It's not all the way there. Jesus doesn't throw that stuff in the trash. He fulfills it. Literally, he fulfills it. My best examples are not that good. I don't know how to explain this that well, but here's my best examples. I had a lot of student loans from school. I had a lot of them. I paid them off. You ever pay off a debt? You ever get one of these? How good does that feel? Feels wonderful. This is what Jesus is saying, that you had an obligation to the first two-thirds of this, and all of it pointed to me, and now that I'm here, it's fulfilled. You don't throw, I didn't throw my contract away with the student loan company, because someday they might go, hey, error, uh, you owe us some money, and I'm going to say, not a chance, kick rocks. I'll burn your whole institution to the ground, figuratively. (laughs) Figuratively. Figuratively. I met with, like, lawyers, you know. (laughs) The contract was fulfilled. The contract doesn't go away. It exists. It was a place that they had its purpose. And me paying off the student loans is still really helpful in in the current, right? It gives me good credit. It shows that I'm trustworthy to make payments. It shows that I'm a fool for taking out half a house worth amount of money for getting a piece of paper that says you did it. Like it shows a lot of really great things. We don't throw the Old Testament away. It is because Jesus fulfilled it. It is still valuable, important to us, but you're not bound to it. You're not It is not law for you. Another example I think of is a puzzle. I know some people love puzzles. I like puzzles. What do I do when the last piece goes in? I look at it, and then I give it away. I throw it away. I've, I'm not doing that puzzle again. Jesus comes, and he puts the last piece in. He takes it from six to seven. He puts the piece in, and he looks at it, and guess what the picture is? It's a picture of Jesus. All of this pointed to Jesus, all of it. He says, all of the law and the prophets is summed up in me. I do it. It's, it's all pointed to me. It was a shadow of me. And so we look at the puzzle and we go, that's a picture of you, Jesus. And he goes, yep. And we frame it and we put it on the wall and it's still useful to us today. But the real thing is in our midst. It's Jesus. And so what do you do with this thing? Well, that's my last question. It doesn't help us from this passage, but I just want to finish out the question since I started the question. What do we do with it? It's not law. You don't have to read it and go, well, I'm not allowed to wear mixed fabrics. I can't wear polyester blends. So God said, that's not, it's not law for you anymore. But it can be wisdom about how to live rightly in the world. It can be revelation, give you a picture of who God is and what God desires from you. And it can be a prediction. But in this church, we believe all of that prophecy and prediction is fulfilled in Jesus. 
But that's helpful. We can go back and look at who Jesus is. We can get a fuller, better picture about who Jesus is because we've read this and we see him all over the place. In and throughout salvation history. That's what the Old Testament is. And that's what Jesus wants you to know. It was six jars, but now it's seven. Now it's seven with Jesus there. It is the number of completion, the first sign. Jesus wants you to know that the old rules are gone and the new covenant, the new way of relating to God is here. Know that. You are set free from the law and you have been moved into an era of grace and love and joy and Holy Spirit dwelling in you. What does God want us to feel in the midst of this? These signs point to the greater reality of who Jesus is. And what Jesus wants us to feel and know and feel is that our generous God is here. And it's so good. It's like 120 gallons of wine at a wedding good. It's, I mean, why would you ever need that much wine? Weddings lasted seven days. And you were expected to go, and you could even get out of some like religious, some of that old rule stuff. You could even get out of that if there was a wedding. And you were expected to go and hang out for seven days and just eat and drink, and that was their obligation to you, was to feed you. And in fact, if there wasn't any leftovers, you were a bad host. And so they'd been partying for days. And Jesus goes, how about 120 gallons of, how good was the wine? The best wine. The head waiter and the groom were like, this is the best thing we've ever tasted. Um, and you brought it out at the end, they have been having a lot of wine, and Jesus is so generous with this wine. Jesus says this was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana and Galilee, and he did it to reveal his glory. He wants you to know that God is here now. Our generous God is here now, and it is so good. I got to show you some Old Testament passages because, because, Imagine you were a little Jewish boy or a little Jewish girl before Jesus came. And they would say, someday our hero's coming. Someday our Messiah's coming. Someday God is going to show up. And when he does, it's going to be like a banquet. And it's going to have delicious, the best wine you've ever had. This is what they prophesied way back, thousands of years ago before Jesus showed up. Isaiah 25. The Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods, rich in flavor, of choice wines, twice. Twice you get choice wines. Sometimes these passages, I don't drink, but sometimes these passages are like, you know what? I don't, I don't. But this is a sign of God coming. Twice, the promise, way before Jesus, is that when God shows up, it's going to be wine time. Wine Wednesdays and Wedding of Galilee. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is veiling all peoples. No longer will God be shrouded in mystery. That veil will be swallowed up. The shroud and shrouding all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And they will say on that day, look, this is our God. And Jesus shows up and his first sign is like, do you guys remember this? Do you guys remember when this is what we said was going to happen? It's happening. Choice wines, 120 gallons, the best you've ever tasted at the end of the wedding, which no one does. They bring out the good stuff in the beginning. Wait till you get drunk and then bring out the bad stuff. Isaiah 55, 
God says, all of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food and eat. Without money, no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what, that, for what isn't food and your earnings on what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feast. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The Old Testament those rules that we just talked about, Nola, it predicted that another time was coming when there would be a new thing. And part of that new thing would have wine and feasting. And Jesus shows up to a wedding and he's like, I don't want to do this miracle, but if we're going to do it, let's go after it. 120 gallons. What God wants you to know is that when God shows up fully and finally, it's a party. It's feasting. It's choice wines. This is the symbol behind what Jesus is trying to show to. And it's generous. God is generous and God is good. And God is here. In Jesus, God is here. And when God's here, it's a party. It reminds me of kids' movies. I feel like every kids' movie I watch with my kids ends in a dance party. Like, they beat the bad guy, and they come back home, and it's just, they're like, we don't know how to wrap this up. Let's have a dance party. And so you got, like, Hotel Transylvania, and you got Madagascar, and you got Toy Story, and you got Shrek, and you got, what is that one called? It's not Minions, but Despicable Me, and you got Mega Mind. It's all dance parties. They're like, how do we end this movie? Dance party. And the reason, (laughs) I'm like, come on, guys. Can I get something else? And then in Toy Story 3, they almost killed all the characters. And I was like, okay, dance. I'll take a dance party. I'll take, can I have a, please, don't let the main characters die. Um, But the reason I think this is so compelling is because this was part of our history. Because that reminded me of World War II. The war to end all wars. Bloody millions of people died. And when they announced that it was over, and when the boys came home, people took to the streets to dance. It was a party. When people came home, when loved ones, when brothers and uncles came home, cousins, dads came home, it was a two, three-day party, depending on where you were, and they danced in the streets. When was the last time you were so happy you danced in the streets? Do you even know how to dance? I've seen your moves. (laughs) I've seen my moves. Listen, I'm not, (laughs) there's no judgment. They knew how to dance. We don't as much. I mean, some of you do. Not me. They danced in the streets. Bands popped up. Dancing happened. Sometimes against people's wills. You just grab someone and dance. Trotting down the street. Ticker tape praying. People just started throwing paper out the window. And they danced. And they danced. And they danced. And there's a band behind them. This feels like the picture that Jesus is giving us with this wedding. That when God shows up, just like when these boys came home, it's a party. It's a generous party. God is here, and it's good, and it's generous. And this is what Jesus wants you to feel, the generosity and goodness and presence of God. That's what the sign is supposed to help you have, where Jesus, for the first time, reveals his glory about who he is and what he's up to. The Old Testament promised Jesus fulfilled, the king is here, let the wine flow, right? This is what he's saying. Let's have a wonderful time. 
What are, what are we supposed to do? What's the encouragement in this passage for us to do something with our hands? If you have any questions, now is a great time to send them. What does God want us to do? Focus your faith on Jesus. Focus your faith on Jesus. John tells us this was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana and Galilee. He revealed his glory, and this is how he ends that story. And his disciples believed in him. For a minute, they were just followers. For a minute, they were just fans. For a minute, they just wanted to hang out with this guy and see where they could take him. But then, after this, they started to believe in him. Not only him, but his mother demonstrates faith to us as well. He tell, she tells the servants, just do what he tells you. She knows. He's going to do it. She demonstrates a faith that is emulatable to us. The disciples and his mom trust more deeply. This is what this story wants you to do, is to trust. John, the author, wants this for you to too, for you too, to focus your faith on Christ. In fact, he ends the whole gospel, the whole gospel of John. You can see it out there in John chapter 20 at the end after Jesus dies and after he's resurrected. He says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, signs, sign, miraculous signs. He did a lot. I chose these seven to do something for you. And namely, these things are written that you would believe. You would have faith in Jesus, God's son. And that by putting your faith in him and believing him, you would have life in his name. This is the whole reason for all of the signs that are written down that you would believe more deeply and more fully. This is what John wants from you. If you know me long enough, you know I have to say this. Faith isn't just belief. Faith doesn't mean believe that God exists. Faith doesn't mean believe that Jesus was a real person. The Bible assumes that God exists. The Bible assumes that Jesus was a real person. The Bible's trying to convince you that God is good and that you can trust him. Faith is trust. You know the Latin word, fide, it means trust. It's not just about, you're not just mentally affirming that there's some being out there called God or Jesus. That's not what belief is. It's trust. It's trust. And the question the Bible is asking you is, who do you trust? Who do you trust to save you, to heal you, to make you holy and whole? It says holy twice, but you know what I'm saying. And whole. Who do you trust? Who are you putting your trust into to keep you safe, to lead you down the good life? Faith is trust in Jesus in two ways. One, you're trusting in his story, his life, death, and resurrection as the thing that saves you, that makes you right with God. And you are trusting that his teachings and commandments are actually the way to the good life. Because they don't sound like they are. When he's like, you should humble yourself. And you're like, I don't want to humble myself. I want to be great. And he's like, first will be last. And you're like, that's dumb. That sounds like it actually doesn't even make sense. And he's like, and if you want to live, you should die to yourself. And you're like, hold on a second. And he says, actually, you know, all your money, just do your best to give that to as many poor people as possible. And you're like, hold on. This is too hard. And he's like, do you trust? That that's the way that leads to the good life. And so he's asking, where do you trust to lead you 
on the good life and to save you and make you whole. This is a guy named John Lennox. I'm wrapping up, I promise. He is a mathematician in Oxford, so one of the most brilliant people on the planet. Oxford's a wonderful university, and he's a math professor there, and he loves Jesus very much. And he got famous a few years ago because he says, everybody trusts in something outside of themselves. Everybody's got faith. Everybody's got faith. He uses a verse from some famous atheist who said, atheists are people who believe that there's no God. Right? They are putting their trust in a universe where God doesn't exist. He says, scientists have faith. Science trusts that the universe is observable and measurable, that it, that it is organized around some laws that we can measure and observe. That takes trust. And he quotes Einstein who said the exact same thing. Einstein said, scientists have their faith that the universe is measurable. And he says, Christians, trust Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus as the way to the good life and the way to make us right with God. This gospel story wants you to focus your faith on Christ. That's the whole point of what it wants to do in your life and what it wants you to do with it. To trust Jesus more deeply. Questions, comments, criticisms, concerns? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Somebody said a hard question. If the Old Testament isn't law, then what do we do with the Ten Commandments? Why are you asking hard questions? Uh, <laughs> the way that I understand it is that um, we are not bound by any laws in here. Part of the, uh, the Ten Commandments has a commandment that you're supposed to worship on Saturday, on the Sabbath. We don't do that. We don't do that for a reason, because Jesus was raised on Sunday, and that's the new Lord's Day for us. But a lot of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament, and so you do have to follow the ones that are repeated. But sometimes they get a little altered, but this is the part that we are bound by. These commandments over here is the one we try to organize our life by so that we can live the good life. But other, So, can you murder now? No. Paul's pretty clear. We, we still don't murder, even though we're not bound by the... Should you lie now? No. Jesus is pretty clear that we don't lie. Should we honor our father and mother? That commandment is repeated again in the New Testament. Um, it says, honor your father and mother in the Lord. And so there's some extra parts to that that make it a little more difficult. Are we allowed to cheat on our spouse again? No, Jesus is like, even if you think about it, you're already halfway there. You better chill out on all that. So sometimes the commandments get harder in the New Testament. Sometimes they're done away with, like worshiping on Saturdays. Sometimes they're altered to include Jesus as the primary focus. But as far as just a list of old rules, you don't have to follow them. We are, we're trying to navigate the heart of those rules and apply them to our life and letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct us. And so great question. Thank you for that. There are some rules you got to follow. It's not the old ones, though. I hope that makes sense. You're not allowed to, you know, whatever it is. Murder, kill, lie, steal, and cheat. But for different reasons. Great question. Here's my conclusion. The miracles, signs, want to show us Jesus. No, feel, do. Uh, the old rules have been fulfilled. The old rules have been fulfilled. We are not relying on a law to help us be close to God. We have Jesus now.
who has made way for us to be close to God. He is the fulfillment of all those things. And because our generous God is here in Christ, and it is good. It is so good. So good. And what this passage wants you to do is focus your faith on Jesus. And with that, would you pray with me as we head into a time of communion? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this passage. I pray that you take the story that many of us know and you change it like old water pots into new wine for us so that we can continue to chew on, to drink of the life that you have for us, the goodness that you have for us. We are here because we want to feel your presence. We have proclaimed that you are here and it is good and it is generous. And now we are asking to experience that because we know that if we can experience that, we know that if we can experience that, it makes all the difference in our lives. Help us to experience your presence, your goodness, your generosity. Lord, if there is someone here who has not put their faith in you for the first time or hasn't done it in a long time, I pray that you would encourage them to take these next few moments to trust in you, to trust in your story, to to make them right with you, to heal them from their past lives, to make them holy, and to begin the process of making them whole, to let them experience your salvation. And I pray that this day would be a fresh beginning for them where they begin to trust your teachings and your ways and your will towards living the good life, that they would become followers of you today. Because this story has encouraged us to focus our faith more clearly on your son. And Father, as we come now to the time of communion, the time of the bread and the cup, which is your body and blood for us of the new covenant, would you meet us here as you have promised to do? That we would experience your presence in these elements as energy for our journey, as your closeness, as your proximity, as your generosity. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me continue that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer together, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.